From KIUS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Graham Christensen, founder and president of GC Resolve, GC Revolt, and member of Regenerate Nebraska. Nature and environment go hand in hand with the farming culture, and it goes hand in hand with my life on the farm. I just knew that being from that area, that I would have some ability to be able to communicate these things more clearly in a way that that impacted people um, within this culture. And, you know, you you respect where you're at, you respect different cultures um, you work in. But um, I kind of always say, like, you got to talk Nebraskan to Nebraskans. Christensen talks about combating the climate crisis through building resilient communities that not only go green, but go regenerative. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. We have a lot of hours of content here on Riverside Chats now. Our backlog has over 100 episodes. We're expanding into live events, and we have an exciting future for the show that we hope to be able to get to you. To make the show as good as it can be and to continue to give you the kinds of conversations that you listen for, the reason why you subscribed in the first place, to hear coverage of arts, ideas, politics, whatever it is that brings you here every time, please consider becoming a supporter of the show by making a sustaining monthly donation of $1, $5, whatever you can afford, and really whatever you think the show is worth, which maybe is zero, in which case, ouch. But okay, if you are interested in becoming a supporter, please look in the podcast notes. There should be a link in there that you can find that gives you all the information you need. Otherwise, thank you for considering supporting the show, and more more importantly, thank you for listening. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. We have an exciting announcement. We'll be doing a live recording of an upcoming episode of the show at Benson Theater on September 24th, where you can see me on stage in conversation with the man himself from Mannheim Steamroller, Chip Davis. We'll be talking about his subversive approach to the music industry, the creation of Mannheim Steamroller, and how he's helped build spaces like Benson Theater for Omaha culture to flourish. Following the conversation, there will be an opportunity for audience questions and participation. Check for tickets at KIOS.org or BensonTheater.org. Often on this show, I express my concern not just about the climate crisis, but the seeming inability we have to talk about existential risks like a warming climate because so much of our bandwidth is taken up by the noise of culture wars. In previous conversations regarding updating our grid to accommodate renewable energy, a concept came up that didn't get much time but is gaining traction as a model for what can help undo the damage of the past. Regeneration. Commonly, this is employed through farming and grazing practices that restore degraded soil biodiversity, sequestering carbon, and improving the water cycle. Today, I'm talking with Graham Christensen, founder and president of GC Resolve, a communication and consulting company, and GC Revolt, which helps equip communities with the tools they need to make a difference for the climate crisis and ensure a stabler, healthier future for humans and our ecosystem in general. Here is our conversation. We've done a fair amount of episodes where we talk about the steps people need to take to adjust to the warming climate, maybe some steps that might mitigate some of the chaos or potential destruction that uh, will come along with that. But, I, you know, I feel like it's usually useful just to start with the elephant in the room with these kinds of conversations, which is how bad do you feel like the future is going to be in terms of the climate? Let's get that out of the way. Well, we certainly have our work cut out for us in dealing with the, the climate catastrophe that we're facing. It's not fair to the next generations, but for us that are in between and bridging these generations, um, we have a big role to play. And I think the thing is, is that we have the solutions. We know how we can fix this problem. The younger generations just need to be put in a place to be enabled to follow through. Um, So as bad as things are, uh, I really feel that we're shifting pretty aggressively right now. It's It's a blip in time out of all the time that humanity has existed where things are moving quicker and because we know the solutions we're going to be able to deal with this but we have to be serious we have to be focused and we have to have accountable leaders that are that are working with us in order to enable that that transition to that next generation so you come from multiple generations of farmers, right? That's correct. So they have, obviously, a very tangible connection to land, to ecosystems, to the natural world. What was it like right. for you in your formation, uh, in your relationship to nature? Well, nature is a big part of my life. Um, growing up on a farm, uh, you know, I don't really think you can avoid just being a part of the, the land and the soil and the water. 
just just being outdoors more and working through the soil um, definitely creates a connection to nature. Uh, I, I also really appreciated that my parents, um, even in the spare time outside of the farm, uh, they made sure that we were exposed to a lot of different um, beauty in, in nature, national parks or, you know, camping trips, you know, going to lakes or the river. Um, things like this were all things that I did growing up. So um, I've always had a profound respect for for nature in itself. And that certainly is a driving force behind some of the work that I do. But so when you went to college, you got a, a journalism degree, right? That's, that's correct. So you weren't always on this track exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, coming back to the farm was interesting because as our farm transitioned, um, you know, through my young life into a more conventional farm, um, as, as that, as that transition happened, I kind of reflected away from the farm or defected away from the farm just a little bit. And that was complicating for me because I didn't understand why that may have been at the time. Um, but I was so drawn to the farm that I just couldn't avoid it. Um, and in the early 2000s, when I started understanding a little bit more about the, the emissions issue with climate change, um, and looking into the possibilities that rural people and farmers had to produce clean sources of energy and alternative energy sources. And then eventually, uh, a few years after, learning about the power of a good biodiverse system, uh, that started getting me really excited. I knew most likely that I'd have a turn at this farming thing. I, you know, I think I almost missed that, but but I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I had to come back to the farm. I was in California for just a short, Southern California for just a short time. And I sat out there in a seven hour traffic jam one day. And I said, why, why would I give up this farm? Um, being on the land, you know, being away from my family. My brother and I just took over the farm two and a half years ago. But as we've started to take over the farm, we've really started to implement more and more of these, these kind of changes, these solution oriented oriented um, opportunities uh, that, that more farmers are looking at utilizing now as being part of that solution. And the more I learned about those regenerative practices and how we can be the solution as farmers, I got really excited. And now we're just having a lot of fun, you know, trying to work within the ecosystem instead of trying to manipulate it. Well, it seems like part of your work does draw from the skills of journalism, right? Mm -hmm. That you are very much interested in communicating, mm -hmm. in educating. And uh, as we've kind of talked about already, it seems like for a lot of the solutions to the problems of the climate, of farming, of what the future might look like, the tech is there for the most part, but being able to persuade people and communicate about it is where everything gets stuck, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what would you say that there were, I mean, are there things that you learned from trying to be a journalist or from studying that originally that now applies to what you do in terms of like, how do I communicate? How do I describe on people's level and then actually get some results? Absolutely. Um, better communication, I think, as we're seeing today is essential to us building those bridges that I mentioned earlier. And, I was always pretty natural when it came to, you know, English, spelling, grammar, you know, things within that sorts. And I always had a curious mind, too. But but um, uh, I think learning some fundamentals about journalism through college um, has become really useful in being able to be a better communicator today. And so I wasn't sure, though, what my major was going to be for a while, um, but I was naturally drawn to that communications aspect. And then I wasn't sure how I was going to use it. I thought, you know, that I'd probably be working on a television news station. Um, and I kind of like the creative side. You know, I was, I was more interested in getting off the camera and kind of behind and, you know, uh, helping communicate in that way. But then I had the realization that that, that wasn't a setting in which – I could really thrive very well. And so um, because, and, and as I found out that, and as I came back to Nebraska, um, I really just had to put in some hard time to kind of figure out my direction. And it, it wasn't until um, that I, I got involved with the Nebraska Farmers Union back in 2007 um, that I think I really started understanding the power of, of good communication, um, how that can build bridges 
and how we can have resounding impacts on the future um, if we're better communicators. And then as as I as I left the farmers union, um, I and I had some political work I was doing at the time. Um, I also saw through the political work how it felt like to me that communication was not being allowed in many parts of the state. There was not a broad perspective, almost like communication was somewhat being controlled and used to manipulate good people. That really bothered me. Coming out of um, a U.S. Senate effort in 2014, um, I just had some a little bit of time to reflect. And so that's where the first business GC Resolve came from. Uh, we wanted to try to focus on better communications around the environmental issues um, because, as you mentioned earlier, uh, nature and environment go hand-in-hand hand with the farming culture, and it goes hand-in-hand hand with my life on the farm. I just knew that being from that area that I would have some ability to be able to communicate these things more clearly in a way that, that impacted people um, within this culture. And, you know, something else I also kind of learned at, uh, you know, you, you respect where you're at, you respect different cultures um, you work in. But um, I kind of always say, like, you got to talk Nebraskan to Nebraskans, you know. And, of course, there's a lot of different pockets of Nebraskans in the state. But it's really important, you know, kind of to come to that level of, of these, these spaces that you're in and, and try to clearly communicate. So. Um, I implemented the communications part as one of our heavy focuses because it was completely missing. And that, I think, we're starting to see some impacts from in, in some of the work that we're doing. And then on the alternative energy side, um, have utilized communication to try, to try to make more of an impact there as well. So the communication aspect and that early training that I you know, didn't quite understand exactly where I was going to go with has had a profound impact on, on the way that, that we've been moving forward. In, in a very broad and diverse team that, I, that I'm fortunate enough to have a chance to work with. Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting writing about humans almost are at a cognitive disadvantage with concepts that are so big, like global warming or even like oil, nature, that it's difficult enough to wrap our minds around them. Uh, there's Timothy Morton wrote an interesting book where he calls them hyperobjects. And he says there, he calls them atemporal, non-local, time-stretched to such a vast extent that they become impossible for us to hold in our mind. So, I mean, like, do you think it's just difficult when it comes time to create solutions to tangible problems that the problems themselves are so big that we often just get stuck even trying to conceptualize them, let alone just, you know, be able to come up with a comprehensive solution? Absolutely. Um, this is a big problem that we have today. And there's, you know, all these sources of information coming from all over the place um, that are confusing and jumbling up things. And there's, there's political interests um, that are also preying on that vulnerability. And so that is one thing that we do um, is we try to peel off that first layer and take these things in bite-sized pieces. Because when it comes to an issue like climate change, you can run about a trillion different ways with that. And it does seem overwhelming, and it is hard to understand. But as you piece together a lot of different pieces, you start to see the bigger picture. And so being able to start by communicating with those people on things that they understand and then taking additional layers um, out of that conversation, gradually over time starting to hit and expand on that conversation is really, really important. But we need to start from 101, education 101, um, in almost everything we do. You know, I see it when we're talking um, with allied, you know, um, politicians. Um, I see it when we're talking to more adversarial politicians. We have to start by the things that we can relate to, and then we can be able to build on that. When that communication is started and allowed to flourish, um, we can peel off more layers. And that's really powerful, and that's when change starts to happen. We should confront those kind of conversations with each other uh, so that we can start to dissect these things so that we can have a clear understanding of things that are very big. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Graham Christensen, founder of GC Resolve and GC Revolt, as well as a local leader in Regenerate Nebraska, about utilizing regenerative methods to combat the climate crisis. What do you think? What steps are you willing to take to address the warming climate? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play on an upcoming show. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you saw it, Don't Look Up, 
But uh, there's a, a rant that Leonardo DiCaprio's character goes on uh, toward the middle of that movie where he says, if we can't all agree at the bare minimum that a giant comet the size of Mount Everest hurtling its way toward Earth is not a good thing, then what happened to us? I mean, how do we even talk to each other? And I mean, t- we've talked, we've been talking about this already, but like, I feel like that's the real question, right? It's, it's again, it's just sort of like, how do you cut through the noise and how do you get to the point where we can agree of what's even going on, right? We're not just stuck in these echo chambers that we've constructed for ourselves. So you've had to do that. You've had to talk to Nebraskan to Nebraskans, and it seems like it's it's led to uh, some fruitful results, right? You've got a lot of operations going. You've got different facets to them. So in terms of your approach to make sure that the political noise does not seep into what you're trying to do, I mean, what are some of the strategies that have worked for you to just talk about oh. things that are observable that we can agree on? Yeah. Respect, you know, is number one for others and their opinions. I think that um, personal experiences I mean, for example, it's tough to, for me to articulate the future of the farm until, you know, the congressman comes out to the farm and we can point things out to them. Um, I think that honesty also, we have to have trust. And so we have to be able to be as honest as we can. And sometimes um, in the emotional process, when we make mistakes, we have to admit that that builds the trust level. And so there's a lot of ways I think that we have to go about being able to confront that. But, but um, those are some of the areas that I think that really, really can make an impact. Well, so we've done episodes where we talk about green energy, um, talk about how do we get to carbon neutrality. I don't know outside of maybe a brief reference when I talked to Craig Moody that regeneration and regenerative practices have really come up. So what, what is that? How did you come to understand what it is and how to implement it in Nebraska? Well, so back in those farmers union days, 2007 to 14, even in that front end, 2007 to nine, former President Obama uh, was leading a, a um, comprehensive climate and energy package effort. It was at that time we first started talking about supporting federally farmers and ranchers to transition into these more biodiverse systems. And so we were already talking about the solutions back then. Um, We just know so much more about how to validate them. So moving forward, I just think we learned a lot about the practices. I had a chance to go to France and be part of the first ever um, global climate convening that was farmer-centric. Met a lot of brilliant people out there, and they were speaking more towards regenerative ag and really focusing on that soil piece. By the way, in Nebraska, we lose four tons of topsoil per year on the average farmable acre. Uh, So we're losing, you know, one of our most valuable resources there. But when I came back from that trip, we started having farmer um, conversations. And what the farmers all were able to rally around uh, was this idea that if we focus on the soil, um, if we create more biodiversity, we can also create more opportunity. We needed to understand what other people felt as farmers, um, how food and nutrition and agriculture um, impacted them, what what their experiences were in this area. And so um, through these farmer conversations, uh, we agreed that we must go to other communities um, that we haven't spent enough time with in recent times. And that included communities in, across East Omaha. Um, that included uh, tribal communities. And, of course, that included, you know, communities in, in rural areas. And we found that there was a lot of energy and concern over food and nutrition and that there were things that um, within this area that brought us all together um, that the consumer, um, which is all of us, is not getting the transparency they need to be able to have opportunities to have what are fundamental rights, you know, the basics of life. And one of those is good nutrition. Um, That was powerful uh, going through those conversations back in 2017 and 18. Um, It added a lot of insight um, and kind of started to lay out a vision for the future um, in which everybody would be a part of one way or another. And that the consumer, no matter if you're in North Omaha or on the reservation or in the country, um, would not be uh, left behind. And so we look at a, an industry that's become predatory and extractive. And um, we see how 
it's taken different forms all the way back to uh, slavery in this country. And we can see those similarities and those patterns. And we have a sense to know that that's not acceptable. So because we have that sense to know that's not acceptable, that means that we can work together and change if we just realize some of these very basic things. Um, And so our starting place has become the soil because the soil is a great uniter. But the soil exists in Omaha and in the inner city. It exists in all of these areas. And by focusing on the soil and talking to to more communities about where food comes from and just taking care of that and and nurturing and grooming that as if it was life itself, uh, we know we can build so much off of that. And the conversations, of course, you know, uh, with various communities across the state and country have been evolving a lot, you know, since that conversation that was had in France um, back in 2017. And now we're seeing that regeneration or regenerative agriculture really is a uniting factor. Um, Urban to rural, black, white, it doesn't matter. We all have this in common and we all have stake in this because when we put food in our body, it impacts how quickly we think or how swiftly we move. And if we want to have a strong country, a strong world, a strong state, then we all have to have the ability to access that. I think what you're seeing now is is starting to become a foundation or a groundwork laid uh, for actually cons- reconstructing more around these regenerative agriculture principles. And the conversations are happening in all kinds of different pockets And it's a really beautiful thing. And if we can be there to help bridge the communities, um, that's where we want to be because we know it's going to take all of our voices in order to deal with this industrial ag system that's really gotten out of control. So I think soil is crazy. It's like magic to me. Uh, And I don't know if the average person thinks about it that much if they'd never have had to actually grow something. <laughs> so I want to I backtrack just a little bit because you talked about how Nebraska is losing a lot of topsoil every year. Maybe you could just explain a little bit about how soil actually works and then what are maybe some of the healthy ways to use soil and the unhealthy ones. Well, yeah, soil is, uh, is, li- is a living thing. You look under a microscope and the microbes are you know moving. They're active. A healthy soil is feeding those microbes and not destroying those microbes. That's the first fundamental thing is that we need to work on nourishing and feeding the soil. And unfortunately, under the current industrial agricultural system, under the scenario that we're under right now, we're losing so much of that topsoil that we're losing the ability to produce food in pockets of the world. And it is said that um, a few years back that by the Food and Agricultural Organization, the United Nations, um, that we only have 60 harvests left. Uh, we're losing soil that fast and it doesn't mean that we won't be able to farm some stuff here 60 years from now but it means that we have a a global situation going on um, that's dire and so when we start looking at how to heal the soil um, if you look at the Great Plains you can learn a lot from how the indigenous people worked with in the ecosystem and this was a a tall grass you know prairie area and we saw um, rotating herds of bison that continued to play part in balancing that ecosystem, and the communities worked within that. Um, so taking that into more modern-day scenario, on our farm, for instance, that was, once again, uh, very conventional. You know, we started eliminating seed coats and, and going back to non-genetically modified seeds. And while that's not necessarily – those are good for the soil, more recently we started – implementing more diverse um, cropping systems called cover crops in between that corn and soy rotation so that the soil is never bare. If you wouldn't want to be running around without clothes in the cold, well, the soil doesn't like that either. And so um, and so by covering it more of the time, um, that's a big step in order to be able to allow that life more chance to, to live. But also going back to that... Um, conversation about the rotational um, grazing of the bison. How do we use livestock today to be able to use that new biodiversity we put out there to help feed them, to help get them rotating around that land again so that we can see that balanced ecosystem? And then if you take another layer, um, especially in areas like eastern Nebraska, 
on the edge of the Great Oak Savannah one time, um, we can be using utilizing trees and getting those roots deeper and deeper into the ground. And of course, every time we put roots in the ground, um, whether it's trees or, or, or biodiversity, we're pulling down carbon out of the air. And so you start to see how not only is this good for the soil, but how this emissions issue that we have right now um, can come in balance quickly if we take a global approach on this. And we do have a lot of local to global um, conversations that are very relevant because um, we all have to come up at the same time together to be able to make this balance work. But um, you cover the soil, uh, you add, you bring those roots in the ground, you stabilize the soil, and, and you find ways to rotate animals through it instead of setting animals up for more days in confinement systems. Um, most of the land in our county doesn't have animals running through it anymore. And so that's just a pattern that has to be reversed because um, we are seeing the environmental impacts, both in water degradation and serious soil uh, erosion loss and, and of course, um, the rising emission issues. I'm talking with Graham Christensen, founder of GC Resolve and GC Revolt, as well as a local leader in Regenerate Nebraska. All of these are dedicated to the mobilization of the general public to build regenerative, resilient communities and a stabler future. Let us know what you think. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. We have an exciting announcement here at Riverside Chats, which is that we will be doing a live recording of an upcoming episode of this show at Benston Theater on September 24th, where you can see me on stage in conversation with the man himself from Mannheim Steamroller, Chip Davis. We'll be talking about his subversive approach to the music industry, the creation of Mannheim Steamroller, and how he's helped build spaces like Benson Theater for Omaha culture to flourish. Following the conversation, there will be an opportunity for audience participation and questions. I don't know, maybe we will, like Mr. Chip Davis himself, sing some Christmas songs, but make them really loud and intense. I don't know what's going to happen. It has to happen live, and hopefully you'll be there with us. Check for tickets at BensonTheater.org. An evening with Chip Davis, our first live recorded Riverside Chats since the show premiered on public radio. See you September 24th. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Check out the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. Today I'm talking with Graham Christensen about using regeneration to combat the warming climate. Regeneration is commonly employed through farming and grazing to restore degraded soil, which sequesters carbon and improves the water cycle. Here's the rest of our conversation. It's one of those things where there's almost this juxtaposition of a lot of doom and gloom that goes along with a lot of hope, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's sort of both of those together. And you hope that the people with power, whether that's a landowner, whether that's people in the legislature uh, at, a, at a local scale or a federal scale, care enough to do something about it, that it's not going to be corrupted by money. So I know you've got various legislative goals. I know you've, you've worked and promoted uh, some, of the, some of the bills that are out there. So tell me about like what, what traction are you getting? What kind of changes are you hoping will pass sometime soon here? First things first, um, we try to simplify things, that communication piece, even for our own selves. And so with the doom and gloom, there has to be a part of this in which we expose the bad players and we have to be very clear about that and very direct and those are the kind of conversations that that um, we must entertain in all pockets of the state and not be scared and that's why that communication piece is so important but we also have to be able to bring the solutions and as we were just talking we know we know these solutions now they're sound and they're economically proven uh, just if we can be able to have some support to be able in this great transition as it happens to make sure that those farmers that are the solution can transition this way in a, in a more risk-adverse manner. And so that as the land primarily held by the older generations right now, as that transitions over the next 20 years, that it's not just going to big investors or, or multinational conglomerates so that this industrial system is propped up and we don't have a chance um, to be able to turn the curve. We need that land to go to the next generation. The big package that can be able to help shift things very quickly is the 2023 Farm Bill. The 2023 Farm Bill gives us an opportunity to be able to address some really, really serious concerns that are on the horizon um, to help place beginning farmers in that 
role in this regenerative agricultural role. Um, so we do make that change that's, that's needed to be able to help other farmers transition safely risk adverse so they don't go broke by trying to do the right thing. We need that, we need that Band-Aid. As folks on farms have typically been more cash-strapped but heavy in assets, it's tough for them to convert to processing hazelnuts or small grains or legumes. We need to be outfitted so we have some equipment so we can get that product to market. We need to have technicians in the government that are caught up on all this, all these new practices that we're understanding so much more about. And we need to support local groups, once again, in East Omaha or on tribal lands that can help these government technicians be able to properly communicate and include this next generation of farmers um, that are the solution. And so there's a lot of education. Um, there's a little bit of infrastructure stuff that needs to, needs to go down. There's got to be a focus on the, the next generation of farmers. This needs to be done risk adverse. And, of course, within that, there's all kinds of tweaks that we're looking at to be able to make sure that this can work smoothly. I think those are some kind of overarching heavy pieces that have to be addressed in the 2023 Farm Bill. So usually the Farm Bill kind of flies by and nobody really focuses on it. But it's one of the largest packages that exists and it impacts everybody and is currently set up to support the industry and not the farmers and not the consumers that need that transparency so that they can live healthier lives. We don't need new taxes on a Farm Bill to do these things. We need to take some of the funding that's propping up these industrial ag systems and shift that so that Nebraska, places like Nebraska, no longer have to import 90% of their food, which is dangerous. That's a national security issue. So let's be clear about that. We're setting ourselves for a national security issue so that we can at least get, for starts, 10% back, make it 80-20, and watch that dollar circulate around food, health, and wellness, and nutrition. And you'll see businesses start to pop up. And you'll see a more connected urban and rural. You'll see more young people um, that are becoming part of the solution. And this farm bill has to do that, has to take that step. And so if you're not focusing on the farm bill out there, I just want you to know that it really impacts you. It impacts all of us. But we can do better. And only through a more collective voice can we help make that change. That's what the recent effort that I've become more of a part of in Regenerate America uh, with the producers of Kiss the Ground, um, the documentary we've been working on is is really bringing together a super diverse national coalition that is working on these things so we can bring more of these opportunities back to every community because every community, you know, every community should have um, their young people just putting that seed in the ground and watching this come up. And a farm bill obviously can do much more than that. It can shift us and transition us into that solution-oriented future, um, and it can do it very quickly if we're on point here. So you've said there's traction among people maybe who are not uh, in power right now, right? That just like the gen- the average person maybe is persuaded here. How's it going in terms of actually getting the people who write the farm bills to incorporate some of these ideas? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think it's been really good. Um, I have talked to uh, Republicans and Democrats on this issue at all levels, and they are into soil health and they're also into how we can spur more business in areas that have that are experiencing young people that haven't come back for a long time Um, so there's really some promise and bipartisan opportunities Um, and but here in omaha uh, congressman don bacon for instance he's on the ag committee he has a huge role in the making of the next farm bill if he wants to have that. We've been trying to reach out to Congressman Bacon um, for quite some time right now to just simply, as farmers from the area, discuss the farm bill. Um, Haven't been able to make that progress. Um, We've been put off on multiple times now, and we're hoping that um, that these conversations um, will happen because now is when these conversations on the farm bill are going on. So... um, But I think that this is something that the congressman would understand if he would allow that conversation to happen. And I think some of these things um, that we've already talked about, um, he could be a driver in this. And with with, uh, a military background, um, you would think clearly that he would understand national security ramifications um, and foreign ownership within the system. 
and being vulnerable through um, environmental issues uh, caused by catastrophic climate change events. Um, we're waiting for that conversation to happen. And so we look forward to that. Um, but for the most part, when we engage in these conversations, light bulbs go off all over the place. And um, another example that's really cool is in Iowa, uh, Representative Feenstra came out to a farm and um, did the farm tour. And he looked at all the opportunities that come out by starting with the soil. And now he said he would be an advocate um, for, for soil health in the farm bill, which is a really beautiful thing. And, and um, another farmer and myself have uh, entertained as well the former congressman, uh, Jeff Fortenberry, um, and his staff out. And we showed them before, you know, all the trials and stuff. We showed them if you bring back the livestock, the animals on our farm, then there's a young person that's going to manage that herd because my brother and I need help to do that. We're not experts with cows, but we know that it's good for our system and we need it. If we bring back the trees and we start doing agroforestry system, there's another, there's another position there. There's another managerial position on the farm. That's a whole other job. And then if we were to put a greenhouse on our farm as well, then somebody else is going to have to manage that. There's going to have to be more people there. And all of a sudden, this is starting to make a lot of sense on how we can chip away and rebuild, you know, um, from this really bad area that we're at right now. Uh, so I, I use these conservative examples um, because not because I just like one party or another, but I use that to show how possible that this conversation is right now. And with a little bit of encouragement, there can be a unifying factor here that is powerful and both the business side of things and the environmental things can both win. And we can also spread out that dollar and try to reinvigorate the middle class that the industry took from us. Um, that was once a, a real staple um, to middle America. So if anyone listening to this wants to reach out to try to encourage Congressman Bacon to meet with you, what would be the good message? Like who should we, who should they be saying that he should meet with? Yeah. He, Congressman Bacon should check out Regenerate America, first of all, and he should get on a farm and, and look at what we're talking about. Within the Regenerate Nebraska network itself, uh, there are lots of other folks that would step up and show different ways that they're going about this. And it could be, as we've done with farm tours, just outside the periphery of the city. Um, but there is a lot that needs to be done within the city in our vacated lot situation right here. Tribal politics. Um, also, and the tribal lands are going to be huge players. Ho-Chunk Farms up at Winnebago is starting to really lead on these issues. Um, access to uh, see what's going on there would blow the minds of any representative um, as they're quickly becoming one of the most progressive and regenerative farming organizations in the state, and especially in, in the eastern front of the state. Uh, so... There's a lot of people, and also it doesn't just mean farmers. This means that we want people to go see folks who are running the cover crop business or the seed saving, you know, um, nonprofit, you know, down here down here uh, by Benson. Um, we want to be to Omaha Permaculture, you know, to see what they're doing on that seven acres and how they've transformed the land down there and have enabled more people from the inner city to be able to be a part of raising food and nutrition through using these diverse edible landscape settings. We have so many, so many cool things going on here. And the Regenerate Nebraska Network is looking at all of these, how everyone has that role in that solution piece. And so I just think that food and nutrition and the security of our country and the next generation are so important um, that if we're neglecting any pocket on this issue right now, um, it's it's really it's, it's, it becomes a really serious issue, and and I think that um, I think there's a lot of good examples that we should start peeling off, but um, painting that picture of the future of the farm is vital, and so um, Congressman Bacon or anybody else really should be seeking to see the businesses they're supporting, the farmers, the farmers are working with, and looking how urban and rural both play a part in this. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Graham Christensen about using regeneration to combat the climate crisis. What do you think? What steps are you willing to take to address global warming? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play on an upcoming show. 
Have you had a chance to meet with Senators uh, Sass or Fisher yet? Uh, briefly um, had talked with staff of Sass. Uh, they're interested in some pieces that uh, they like soil health, first of all. They're interested in some pieces that we can tweak in the in the farm bill that can help make this um, more business friendly, more sustainable, I guess. Um, and and then Senator Fisher has been an advocate for soil health, um, but we have not got clear feedback yet on how she intends to work through the farm bill um, as another representative of the agricultural committee as she is. Um, and so we'll be seeking to try to entertain uh, that conversation um, very shortly again, for sure. Um, but uh, in-person meeting, um, she has been very strong about her support about the health of the soil. And she points to some of the grazing techniques um, that they've used out at her ranch to stabilize the, the soil. And so um, we have hopes that th- this conversation will be received very well as it continues on. And of course, uh, think that uh, Regenerate America is going to offer uh, more opportunities uh, to see more holistically how this all kind of works together in a place like Nebraska. I talked to uh, Craig Moody about whether net zero carbon, which is Nebraska's plan right now for 2050, basically I was curious, does he ever worry that that's sort of like too little too late? Is that too much of slow progress? And also is just net 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 zero carbon, does that solve the problems as opposed to actually trying to pull more of the carbon out so that it's not just a net, right? It's uh, It's actually something where you're pulling more out than you're putting out. So uh, he said uh, – he mentioned to me that he thinks about what it looks like to incorporate more regenerative efforts, uh, particularly he was talking about Omaha, right? Mm-hmm. So, what, I mean, what does it look like in, say, 2050 to incorporate both clean energy and regenerative uh, methods both in sort of a rural and an urban setting? Like how different does Nebraska look in, say, 20, 30 years? Yeah, so net zero is not going to cut it, but I still tip my hat for a monumental first step in our state amongst the utilities and definitely um, applaud the the current board at OPPD um, for the vision and the leadership and the staff for being able to work with them and set some goals that start heading us in the right direction. But we need to not be producing extra emissions. And, and, and so net zero um, – that penciling out the zero, some other things can happen that are going to be problematic to, I think, the overall uh, gains here. So, um, but it's a step. We just took a big step here, comparatively speaking. And we can build off of that step and make sure we get into a situation that is more zero emissions. And I think that's what uh, the majority of us want. And so um, looking at the rural areas, of course, as mentioned earlier, they'll play a massive role um, and have great benefit from hosting wind turbines and and allowing for the development of solar energy systems. Now we're having all kinds of struggles in the Rural Electric Association uh, with their policies that are, are very outdated. Um, in some pockets of Nebraska, um, really trying to drag their feet on this portion. Um, but we, we do see that there's a role there for the electric co-ops to change their book of business a little bit and help usher this in. And so that's where we're trying to get on that side. On the regenerative side of things, and that's just mo- mostly rural, but on the regenerative, well, and I should just backtrack, what Omaha can do is continue to signal to the rural areas that they want to be good partners and that we're all in this together. And I think that's kind of what's going on, but there does need to be a little bit more collaborative mentality between urban and rural. Um, we've gotten a little bit divisive and ununderstanding of each other um, between urban and rural, and that doesn't need to happen. Um, Omaha can be this huge bridge into enabling rural to be able to play its part on the energy sector side. Um, Within the regenerative agricultural side, it's an inside-outside game. And once again, in the inner city, uh, we need to make better use of all these vacated lots, and we need to allow the communities there to be able to help be part of that that solution for soil regeneration. Um, And once we can produce a little bit more food that's more nutritious and more accessible for some of these areas, we can compound that by creating a periphery around um, populated areas like Omaha that more strategically works with farmers to be able to start regionalizing and even localizing the marketplace. Once again, 90% is imported of our, of our food product in Nebraska, which sets us up for a lot of issues 
we're going to start being able to not say no exports. It's not what I'm here to say. What I'm saying is that we need to be able to get that 10% back right away. And we need to be able to start creating markets from Omaha and Lincoln to the, with the farmers around here so that they can easier diversify. We can set up systems that enable that. And you're seeing some of that happen organically as well. The sink in carbon and also less um, reliance on synthetic nutrients can also save a lot of rising emission issues from nitrous oxide. If on a more large and widespread scale, this is happening out in the country. But those same practices are relevant to here as well um, in the city. And so it's an inside-outside game. We need to produce food in the city. We need to produce food for people outside the city. We need to pull those pieces together. And we shouldn't see the food desert issue, for instance, that we've, been, we've, been, we've known has been in North Omaha for way too long. Um, it's a two-part game. It's, we both have roles. And furthermore, as we expand the localized markets, we're going to need Metro Community College, for instance, to be able to teach skills because regeneration isn't just about the farmer. Um, it's about the composters. It's about the cover seed people. It's about the tree people. It's about sheep people. You know, it, this is about this is about recycling. This is this is about bees and pollinators and honey. This is about not just meat packing. Um, or independent meat lockers, which we need more of those to get away from the monopolies. But this is about processing those agroforestry products, these small grains, these legumes, these almost pure protein sources that we've neglected in our diets that are powerful and that do help us run faster and, and, and think swifter. And, and so it can only work if we're working together between urban and rural and there is, once again, a role in this um, vision for everyone to play. So there's a lot. I feel like this is a good primer, but there's obviously a lot to learn for any of these elements because it's so interconnected. So for people who want to get involved or want just to learn more, what are some good resources they can look into? Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a group called Landcore um, that is working on farm bill issues. And and they are really focused on the soil health side of the piece. And I would definitely suggest um, that. Um, there's, there's also um, resources out there. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a farm bill guide. It's, I can't, now I can't, the name's slipping in my, in my mind, but um, that breaks down the different um, titles of the farm bill. There's 12 titles to the farm bill. It's massive. And um, so starting to understand those titles and where you can play because nutrition, you know, is something that heavily impacts urban people. And, of course, a lot of the funding um, of the Farm Bill is the nutrition title. And that includes, you know, SNAP and, and um, WIC and other kinds of programs that make more food accessible to more people. Uh, for instance, there's an insurance title and there's a horticulture title. And, you know, there's a there's um there's titles for the um, basically the subsidy systems, and there's an energy title. And so there's titles all over the place. And I would say start investigating where you think you best fit as far as getting in the policy area. And definitely plug in to Regenerate America. Um, that Regenerate America effort is going to be something that links us and gives us more power in the voice all the way down, you know, back down here to Nebraska. Um, should, always, should definitely be following uh, Regenerate Nebraska. Uh, we keep it real on that. Um, day, every day there's news and information coming out on more of that solution-oriented side. And then there's a group called Nebraska Communities United that is working on the exposure side of things and helping that sh usher in that shift to regenerative ag. GC Resolve always has um, news and information as well. And, uh, and of course, um, later this year we'll be uh, introducing the third edition of the Regeneration Proclamation. Um, that is the collective vision that um, came about in around that 2018 timeframe uh, from many different players within the state. And that is going to be a, an awesome guide to be able to know who's out there and who you can work through um, on these various issues. But also the other key piece, it helps you know the ethical businesses that are already in the front of this that you can support. And, of course, many of those businesses are producing food and health products. Um, and 
when you start to have know where these folks are and have access to a, to a little bit more of these things, we can be able to get that extra nutrition that, once again, allows us to run quicker and allows us to think faster and allows us to make big, drastic, overarching changes that people don't think can be done. It makes us be able to do those things um, when more of us are involved in that. So, um, and, and, and I just, I just want to um, say that that's a really important point is that the consumer is going to drive this because we lost the numbers of people in the rural areas through the industrial system siphoning out young people. And unlike the American ag movement days in the 1980s that were very formative for me, um, we don't have the number of farmers to just go out and do this fight. The consumers who are getting the wool pulled over them and are putting this stuff in their bodies that the farm bill is currently subsidizing they're the ones that are going to have to start making noise. They're the ones that are going to have to be a part of this. So um, that's why all of these things are an effort to try to bring all these different factions together um, and help us and help us all better realize um, how we better take control of of um, our own food sovereignty. And and so um, I think that I think that um, I think that all of those tools. Um, can really help people engage. And I think just knowing that there is a big responsibility on the consumer who hasn't got the got access to the product that they need to, to act in those ways um, many times um, is going to be vital. And um, just a few of us farmers, you know, out there across the country, um, well, it's more than a few of us, but but we're trying to open that space and do that differently than what they did, the farmers of the American Ag Movement did. We're trying to work better with consumers and people in different areas um, because that ultimately led to their downfall. Um, bad politics, you know, and, and um, I think not appealing well enough to the consumer. And then we went down this this downward spiral of increased monopolization um, control over the food system, which has impacted us all right. and has impacted the overall health of, of our nation. Well, I appreciate that you've given us, uh, you know, sometimes it can just get so overwhelming that it's hard to envision there being a future at all. So to have the specifics of things both to learn and then places to get involved and then people to maybe petition to who have some degree of power over this, I think it's incredibly important. So thank you for that look into both you and all the things that you're about. Thanks for, so much for being here today. Uh, this is an absolute pleasure, and that really means a lot that um, we're having this discussion right here in, in East Omaha today. Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find the backlog of all these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today, and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock. <laughs>